Well, our tradition each year is to kind of just seek the Lord and get a word of direction or just, you know, maybe something that can encourage us for the new year. And um, I was actually quickened as I was just seeking the Lord by a prophecy given last week. And it talked about the concept of the Lord going before us. You know, and the, the thought was that, you know, it's been a different year, at least 2020, right? It was a different year for us and for the world. And, um, but yet I think the coming year, 2021, is also going to be a different year in God leading us into different things, different experiences. I'm, I'm sure there'll be different things in the natural. Uh, the sense is that the world is not going to be the same, right? And I think there's it more than just the events of last year is that, you know, God is going to start moving in the nations uh, in one way or the other. We're, we're praying for revival, of course, and asking that that would, God would pour out his spirit. But yet God is going before us and he's going to be leading us into these new things, especially the things he has for us. And, and I wanted to look at this concept from some of Israel's experiences of being led by God into new things, um, you know, just to see how God might speak to us and apply it to our situation. And one thing I wanted to look at uh, is there's a verse in Exodus 19 that's a good summary of what God was trying to do in Israel, what he did do, actually. Um, you know, in Exodus, it talks about how God delivered them from Egypt, took them out on a journey to the promised land, um, of course, into the desert of Sinai. But it, and we're going to be talk about Moses in, in a moment. But that's where God spoke to Moses at Mount Sinai. They built the tabernacle and uh, received the laws. They prepared to go on their journey. And in Exodus 19 and verse 3, we see Moses going up into the mountain to be with God. And, and it says, Moses went up to the mountain to be with God. And the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob and to and tell the children of Israel, you have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings and I brought you unto myself. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people for all the earth is mine. That is a good summary of what God wanted to do in Israel. It says, you have seen how I bear you on eagles' wings. He just picked them up and carried them. They didn't even have to do anything but just obey, believe. There wasn't even many actions except maybe put some the lamb, blood of the lamb on their doorposts and you know trust God and put your traveling clothes on. They didn't have to do much. God bear them on eagles' wings. Of course, they had to walk, right? They're, they're on two feet, so they had to follow God. But God brought them out of Egypt with great deliverance, defeated all the gods of the Egyptians, each one in its own. And he brought Israel out with riches, parting the Red Sea, destroying the army of the Egyptians. He bare them on eagles' wings, brought them to his holy mountain, or as it, as it says in verse 4, he brought them unto himself his presence, to know him. And it's where God revealed himself to Moses in a way that he'd never done in the history of mankind. But I think that that, you know, up to that point has been a short number of months. 
but yet I think it characterized the journey that God wanted to bring them upon and lead them into in the coming years. It was to be a journey of being carried by the Lord through the wilderness into the promised land and into their rest, the rest of their inheritance. But then we wander. Well, we wonder, we question, uh, why does that not really characterize how the story played out? <laughs> it doesn't seem like Israel was carried on eagle's wings through the wilderness. They just kind of, they went kicking and screaming. So, to, you know, it wasn't smooth sailing, so to speak. But notice back in Exodus 19 and verse 5, how it hinges on this verse. He says, I bore you on eagle's wings, brought you unto myself. Verse 5, now therefore, if you will obey the voice of the Lord, indeed, keep my covenant, then you will be a peculiar treasure above all people. If you will obey my voice. God carried them on eagle's wings, and I firmly believe that it would have continued in that way if they had believed and obeyed and just walked in what God had said and trusted in him. And, you know, even though they had to walk just like they walked from Egypt to Mount Sinai, but God says in doing that, you, I bore you on eagle's wings. They would have walked all the way to the promised land, but their journey would have been like God was carrying them through. And that characterizes what God how he wants to lead his people. The key point with Israel is, you know, they, they struggled at that obedience aspect. And God, at, finally, at the end, when they came to the promised land, they were at the border and they disobeyed. We'll talk about that last time they disobeyed. God says, okay, I've had enough. These 10 times you failed <laughs> that, the test, right? But that's, that's life. Life is a test. Our time on earth is that, that chance that we have to obey and follow him. And that whole generation, they weren't carried on eagle's wings because they didn't obey. But that represents our struggle. That's our struggle. That's the, the, the opportunity each of us has to obey. Because in a sense, we've already been delivered on those wings, right? We've been saved. God plucked us out of the world and he set us upon a rock, kind of like an eagle taking a, a branch and putting it in a new place. But continuing on our journey, we have to obey his voice. And that determines how smooth our journey will be. There's, all, there's definitely going to be bumps no, along the way no matter what, but yet it determines how far God lifts us up. Ephesians 2 and verse 6. It says, God has raised us up to sit together with him in heavenly places in Jesus Christ. You know, that's done in a part at salvation is that we're taken out of our former life and we're called to reign with him. But you know, we realize there's a process working out as well. God wants to lead us. He wants to lift our perspective higher so that we're sitting with him and we're seeing through his eyes with his perspective. I want to read another passage that um, from the same time frame of Israel being at Mount Sinai. Um, and it's the, as the Lord was giving that direction to Moses and uh, to build the tabernacle, how they were to obey. Moses had a great desire to see the Lord. He longed to, to, to see the God who spoke to him at the burning bush. He wanted to have a glimpse of him. And 
Um, and I wanted to just read this account. It's in Exodus 33, 18. And he said, I beseech you, I, I plead with you, show me your glory. Verse 19, he said, and God responded, I'll make all my goodness to pass before thee. I'll and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. I'll show mercy to whom I'll show mercy. But he, and God said, but you cannot see my face. There is no man that will see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me and you'll stand in the rock. And it'll come to pass that when my glory passes by, I'll put thee in the cleft of the rock and I'll cover thee with my hand as I pass by. Then I'll take it away and you'll see my back, but my face you'll not see. That's quite something when you just sit and think about all of the things that are happening with Moses and God and how he's revealing himself. You see, Moses got to see the Lord, but in a very specific way. God laid out all of these details of how he would reveal. You know, Moses couldn't behold the full glory of God. In fact, the Lord said, no man can see me and live. None of us can endure the full impact of God's glory. It's, you know, isn't that an amazing thought? His glory is so great that we wouldn't physically survive if we beheld it. You know, we just watched a documentary actually last night about the sun and how they, they had to engineer this satellite to go to the sun and they had to, they spent like over 10 years engineering it because they were trying to get to the sun. You know what happens when you get close to the sun, you bake. And so they had to come up with this heat shield and all sorts of stuff. But, you know, in one sense, God's full glory is powerful, but we wouldn't survive it. If we behold the fullness of it, our mortal bodies couldn't endure it. And so God, in his graciousness, he limits us to what we can handle, to what we can endure. You know, there's several accounts. I was just thinking of all the people who God revealed himself to, and then all of a sudden they realized it's God, and they said, oh, no, I'm a dead man. You know, remember Jacob in Genesis 32 is on his way back from Uncle Laban, and he wrestles all night. And he thinks he's wrestling. I don't know who he thinks he's wrestling with. I may be an angel of God or something. But, you know, and he says, I won't let you go till you... You bless me, and his name was changed to Israel. But then Jacob had a, a realization. He was wrestling with someone who was holy, who was glorious. And in Genesis 32, verse 30, And Jacob called it the name of that place Peniel, for he said, I've seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. I didn't die when I saw his glory. And there's other people. There's Gideon. He saw God, and he fell to his face and said, Oh, no, I'm a dead man. And God said, Don't worry. You'll live. But, you know, so we understand God gave Moses a limited revelation of himself. But, you know, that's something we have to understand in our walk with God is that God reveals himself in very specific ways. And sometimes we have this desire, Lord, I, you know, we can have grand desires. Lord, I need a vision. I need the earth to shake. I need something to happen or I, I need you to speak to me in this specific way. But, you know, in one sense, we want to be careful. We don't want to limit God to say, you have to do it this way. What if Moses had limited God? said, no, Lord, if you don't show me your face, then I don't want to see it. Of course, he didn't do that. He's, he's like, Lord, whatever you want to show me of yourself, I want to receive it. I want to know. You know, sometimes we have that expectation. Lord, I, 
I need to meet with you or Lord, you have to meet with me. You have to show me how this situation is going to end. Or Lord, what does it mean that I'm going through this? Or Lord, how long am I going to go through this? And we want God to reveal himself and reveal things you know, about that. But God sets us like Moses in a very specific place. You know, he, met, he set Moses in the cleft of a rock in a very confined space. And what did he do? He set his hand upon him. I wonder if that was a pretty dark time as the glory of God is coming by, but God put his hand upon him. You know, how often have we cried out to God for a meeting with him and it only seems to get darker? Well, when we think about Moses and what he went through, maybe that's the Lord just preparing us, placing his hand upon us so that we can see him in a very specific way. You know, sometimes uh, at night, you know, your, your night vision can be spoiled. So what, what do you have to do? You have to close your eyes for a while. And then after your eyes adjust to darkness, then you can see. There have been many times in my life I've been going through a situation asking God, Lord, would you give me understanding in, about this? And I don't hear anything. And I go through that situation and I think, I get out of the other side and I'm like, what was that all about? I don't know. And that sometimes you could be, you know, you have to be careful not to be disappointed or discouraged at, Lord, why can't I hear your voice in this? But, you know, many times I've looked back and after looking back and in hindsight, you see what God was doing. Or later on, you understand, oh, Lord, I'm so glad I went through that because now it's a value to me. When we're in the trial, if we saw everything fully, if we understood how long <laughs> the trial would be or how deep it would be or how intense, we would probably just run the other way. So God in his mercy, that he doesn't show us everything. He works with intention in everything he does. But we must come to that place where we accept his hand upon us as he passes by, we accept the God-given darkness before the time of illumination. Paul gave this verse in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12, where he said, Now, in this life, or maybe even in this situation, we see through a glass darkly. But then there's a time when we will See face to face. I know in part. Now I know in part. But then, speaking of eternity, I shall know even as I am known. Paul, obviously, he's speaking the difference between earth and heaven. On earth, it's like we have these dark glasses on. You know, sometimes you see those movie stars and they walk around and they've, I don't know if it's to look cool or just because they don't want to be recognized. They have these big sunglasses on, but they'll wear them even indoors or wherever. And sometimes you, you wonder, how, how can they even see? But yet, that's actually a good description of how we walk in this life. You know, not in the natural, but in, in relating to the kingdom of God and seeing how God is moving and working. We have those dark sunglasses on and sometimes we're just squinting. Lord, is that you? Lord, am I going the right way? 
And it's only as we get that glimpse of his brightness that it gets through those dark glasses. But, you know, that makes us walk very carefully because we don't want to miss something. We can, we can only walk in the way that God illuminates. Otherwise, it's, we're just walking in darkness. The blind leading the blind. If we're not focused on the God illuminating our way, His lamp to our feet and His light to our path, that's what we need. And so we need to be focused on Him working in our lives, in His church. And so in following God, we need to see Him in the way that He wants to reveal Himself to us. We have to see through eyes of faith. Our natural eyes, they won't work. We see through that glass darkly as Moses. We see him maybe just from behind. We'd like to see the full picture, but he only gives us that limited bit. Yet we follow him. Now, speaking of Israel, on their journey, they, they went through the wilderness for two years being led by God, a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. God was with them at every step. They weren't always very compliant to what he was saying, but they were with him and, the, and he brought them to the border of the promised land. And, and it just kind of this concept of seeing by faith and having eyes to see God. It reminds me of Caleb and Joshua, especially in this context of, of coming into what God has in the promised land, because God brought them to the border of their inheritance. He sent the 12 spies out. They saw the land. They saw how fruitful it was. They brought back, you know, a big bunch of grapes that was so big they had to hold it on a pole between the two of them. And they brought it back and showed the elders of Israel. And they told them how wonderful the land is. But then 10 of those spies said, yeah, but we saw something else with our eyes too. We saw giants. And they said, yes, the blessing, but the giants. And it's the giants that are, are going to determine our fate. And that was very sad because they were the hearts of the people rejoiced when they heard about the fruit, and then they became downcast when they heard about the giants. But about Caleb and Joshua, it says they had a different way or a different perspective that they offered to the people. But it's because they had a different way of looking at things. Numbers 14.7, it says, and here's them speaking and, and crying out to try and persuade the people. And they said, the land that we have passed through to search it, it's an exceeding good land. Verse 8, if the Lord delight in us, he will bring us into this land. He'll give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only rebel not against the Lord. Don't fear the people of the land. They are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them. The Lord is with us. Fear them not. What a totally different way to look at the situation. Right? They were looking with eyes of faith, believing what God told them about their, their inheritance, that God would bring them in. Now, they didn't, they didn't downplay in the sense of, say, there are no giants. You know, don't believe the 10 spies. There's no giants in there. That would have been false too. They, they acknowledged that there were giants there, but they acknowledged that God was bigger than those giants. 
And he said, their defense is departed from them. They have no way to defend themselves. Their own strength is not good enough because the glory of God is going before us. They already understood that New Testament principle that, that Paul talked about, Romans 8.31. If God be for us, who can be against us? And so of those 12 spies, only Caleb and Joshua saw the good land that God had for them. But you know, it was because they had that point of view, that way of seeing things that preserved them and that way brought them into the land. One of my favorite things about this story of, of Caleb and Joshua and the spies is, is how God describes them. And, and he does this in Numbers. In Numbers is when God rehearses and Moses rehearses uh, the story uh, of Israel's journey for 40 years in the wilderness before they go into the promised land. They come to the border the second time, then they go in for real. But they recount the story in Numbers 14, 24. And here's the Lord speaking of these two men. He refers to Caleb, but really it applies to both. But he says, my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and he followed me fully, him will I bring into the land where he went and his seed shall possess it. Caleb had a different spirit. Well, Caleb and Joshua. Joshua became the, the head of, of Israel. And of course, Caleb was coming in too because he had a different spirit than those other spies and the people. He looked at the situation that was overwhelming, the intimidating giants, their big cities, their weapons. But instead of focusing on that, he focused on how big his God was. And this is really a condition of the mind and the heart. It will determine how we respond to our difficulties, to what is before us. Our problem that we as humans are naturally minded, we want to respond to what we see with our eyes or according to that. And when God speaks something to us that's beyond our understanding, we don't react very well. But the people that enter in are the ones that are led with a different spirit, a spirit that believes, that says, yes, Lord. Like Abraham in, in Genesis 17, when uh, the Lord said, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. Of course, he was 99 years old and hadn't had a ch child with Sarah. She was 90. Not very promising. But listen to what the Apostle Paul says of Abraham, summarizing him. Romans 4.20 says, Abraham, at that moment, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. He didn't trip up over the stumbling stone. But he was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Lord, help us to respond in that way, to stagger not because of unbelief. Now, we can struggle, but yet Abraham came to that point and says, Okay, Lord, I believe. I believe. You know, a big part of our inheritance is victory in the personal life where God says, I, I want you to conquer that giant, maybe that giant of fear or that stronghold of self-will or complacency or self-confidence or our tongue. That's a big one. A lot of stuff gets wrapped up in our tongue because those are the things that keep us from getting into the promised land from inhabiting and possessing our inheritance 
But the heart of faith is the one that overcomes and doesn't stagger. It's strong in faith. So just coming back here to this thought of Moses in the mountain, he's in the cleft of the rock, he's covered by the hand of God, and God reveals himself. And what is God doing? He's showing him his back, but God is also walking forward. God was going before him as Moses saw him. And and I think that's significant that God revealed himself walking forward as Moses was behind him. You know, that was their journey. God led the way by his pillar and they followed him. And, And on our part, we have to follow God into the new. And you know, that's what I'm feeling for us as a church and what God is speaking. I think we have a clear, clear sense that just from natural events taking place, that new things are coming, coming and happening. And I believe that God is doing something new in his church. God's going to do something new in the earth and new in these last days. And we have that, that wonderful verse that it's in the Old Testament. And then Paul quoted it in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 2.9. Eye has not seen ear hasn't heard, hasn't even entered into the heart, into the, the imagination of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. We haven't even considered it. It hasn't even crossed our mind. A lot of things have crossed my mind, but not the good things God has prepared for those who love him. God has already prepared wonderful things for his people and for his church, our part, is to allow him to reveal himself to us, his plan and his purpose in his way and in his timing. And then when he does, we follow him. You know, there's many times in our lives, I think, that God will walk up to us as we're doing something, like the disciples were mending their nets. You know, we could be doing something else. And God says, follow me. Let's go into something new. And the disciples were the disciples because they dropped what they were doing, their old way, their old way of sustaining themselves. And they said, okay, the Lord's going to lead us into something new and he's going to sustain us. See, that's the different spirit of Caleb and Joshua. They had eyes of faith to see through the giants, to see through the obstacles, to see, you know, there's lots of things coming that we're going to be like, Lord, how are we going to endure that? There's lots of wickedness arising. And, and we say, Lord, how can we survive as a, as a church in this wickedness? Well, I think in Scripture and in church history, we have some pretty good examples of how the church didn't just survive, but thrived in wickedness. Because that turns our heart to the Lord sometimes faster than any other thing because we, we need Him. But we also need those eyes of faith to see God in the way he's revealing himself to us and follow him. God lifted Israel up on eagles' wings when he delivered them from Egypt, brought them to Sinai, and his plan was to carry them on eagles' wings into the promised land. But just because they didn't respond, that doesn't mean that's our way. It only took two years. It took a short amount of time for God to bring them to the promised land, and that's what he can do in our lives doesn't have to be a whole lifetime for him to begin to, to bring us into his promises and his plan and his purpose. But there's that part where we have to walk, we have to obey, 
We have to follow him with faith, with eyes of faith. Even though we want to take those glasses off and say, Lord, I'm tired of seeing darkly. But yet God can cause his illumination to come through so we can see him on our pathway. And we hold on to what we see with our eyes of faith, knowing that he'll carry us through with his eagle's wings. He'll bring us into the land. Father, we just thank you. Thank you for your plan and your purpose. We see that in Israel. Lord, we see that, that plan that you have for each of our lives and how good it is. And Lord, we, we just cry out to you, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see. Lord, that you would give us that different spirit of Caleb and Joshua. Lord, that we would respond to you. Lord, thank you that your plan is to carry us on eagle's wings and to give us your perspective and to show us your way and to illuminate our pathway. Oh, Lord, cause your word to be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And give us a heart to follow you in that, no matter where you would lead. Lead us into those new things and those new ways that you have for us. Give us fresh oil from heaven and strengthen us and anoint us to walk after you. In this year, we pray. And we thank you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.